Welcome to Leading from Alignment, a weekly podcast from Converge Coaching, where our passion is to help you lead better, lead longer, and enjoy it more. Hello again, welcome to another episode of Leading from Alignment with our good friend, John Opaluski, and as promised, a special guest today. How are you today, John? Jim, I'm doing well. It's been good visiting with you. And uh, we do have a special guest with us today, dear friends of mine. Do. Yeah. Introduce him. Yeah, David Berenger. Dave, uh, I met Dave through a mutual friend. I don't know how long it's been now, Dave. Probably eight years. It's been like uh, it's been since 2014. Okay, nine years. Nine years. And uh, uh, my initial, actually, my initial uh, introduction to Dave was when Dave uh, posted something on Facebook. And uh, it, it, it really resonated with me. And I reached out to him and said, hey, if you ever need somebody to talk to, I'm here. And I think that was the seeds. Uh, right those on. were the seeds of uh, our friendship. And it's really become a wonderful friendship, a great relationship. And uh, so, Dave, we're so glad that you're here with us today. Excited about the subject that you're going to be helping us with. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm thr- Yeah, I, I'll never forget the message that you sent me. It was the equivalent of, bro, are you okay? That's, <laughs> that's what it was like, the whole message. And so, I mean, immediately, like, um, like I responded with, yeah, sure, okay, yeah. I, are you safe? I think my brain, is this guy safe? Right. Who is this? Can I right. talk to this guy? And it's really okay. become, become just a beautiful friendship. Yeah. Right on. That's the pigeon English translation, bro, you okay? <laughs> You know, <laughs> cool. Well, Dave, I, I mean, we always start with guests and I, I love people's Jesus stories. You know what I mean? That testimony. And so you, you're, you're born and you're born again, same day or what, what happened? You know, how, tell us your story about finding Jesus. Um, man, I, I want to say I found Jesus in the womb. I grew up in a heavily, <laughs> heavily Christian home. I am, I'm a fourth generation um, licensed pastor. What all that means wow. is I've got a resume of church trauma, just as it links back for different <laughs> decades here. So I'm a PK, son of a PK, son of a PK. So um, yeah, we, our, our roots go back very deep in Pentecostalism and the assemblies. We've just got a lot of great roots. But I mean, we all know that you can grow up in a Christian home and not necessarily serve Christ. Sure. And so right. for me... I mean, I think I, I've always had to have this had have had this love for the Lord, um, and I remember uh, very early in elementary school, um, had a teacher. Her name was Judy Feeney, and I'm just telling you what. Um, and there's certain individuals that jump out in my life that yeah. were just monumental. And and Jim, yeah. you've said it best. You can't name five messages that transformed you, but you can name five people. And people. Judy Feeney is one of those Sunday school teachers, kids workers that just. She showed me Jesus at such a young age and introduced me to Christ. And so that's kind of, it was really, I would say, my introduction to my relationship with Christ. And the insane interruption to that was in 1982, my younger brother passed away suddenly, nine months old. And that is just something that has sat in me for years. From that point on, there was just this something stuck in my heart an anger, um, a frustration at God, lots of questions. And I had, I remember hearing preaching and teaching as a kid that you're not supposed to ask God why. And so because I couldn't ask God why, I couldn't deal with some angst in my life. And so for me, that went through childhood into some my, my teenage years. And I can't say I was the most rebellious kid in the world, but, you know, I can play Jesus in terms of uh, play Christian play the church game, be the good little PK. 
but I, I just, I was so angry. I was upset mm. and I just didn't know how to get real with Jesus. And what really helped me was honestly reading the Psalms. And, and I kept thinking, yeah. if he could be real, why can't I be real? Right. And I, so that was around 15 years old. I'm just kind of just dealing with all of this angst. And uh, one day I'm cleaning out a closet and it came upon this, uh, this trunk that my parents had stuck in there and it was just, they used my, my, my closet was storage. So I actually opened up the trunk and looked in and it was different things that belonged to my brother. And inside was something that uh, parents did back in the seventies and eighties, maybe even earlier, these baby books documenting all of these little moments, things, pictures, footprints, all of that. And I picked up his baby book and out of it slid a notebook. And in that notebook, my mom, when my brother stopped breathing, rushed him to a hospital. We, we were on the road and I was next to him. I have more memories than my parents have of, of that whole, yeah. whole thing. And that notebook slid out. She bought that notebook in the gift shop of that hospital. And she started asking God questions. And she started saying, why is this happening? At the same time, Lord, we've learned to trust in you and we lean. And she just, her faith was bleeding from these pages. And she is going through the worst scenario a parent could ever go through. And I'm watching her question God and I'm watching her turn her faith towards God in the middle of the most dire circumstances. And that's the moment that God and I, I felt like I had now the Psalms, I had mom permission Mm -hmm to just bleed my heart out before Jesus. So at 15, I'm just on my knees, weeping into my bed, shouting at God, talking to God. And I just flat out said, if if God, if God, if my wife, my my wife, if my mom could trust you through the worst circumstance, why can't I trust you? And so I just had this moment where I felt like the presence of God came in my, my little bedroom in our single wide trailer and just met me in this place. And I, and I, I was just never the same again. And from there, my passion just got so ignited that I remember walking to youth group and I just wasn't the same. And it wasn't that long later that I got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And my parents will talk about that's the day that I changed completely. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I like to say yes, but you don't really, they didn't really know the full story, what happened mm-hmm. a month or two prior to that, because okay. just because I, I didn't want to cause them more pain. My thing throughout my life is I just want to be okay. I want to be good and not cause them more pain. I don't want to disappoint them. So I'm just going to toe the line and do whatever, because that, that will make them happy. Not realizing I needed a personal interaction connection with jesus i needed my wrestling match and so on top of that like looking back i've always i've always dealt with depression it just was never diagnosed at that point so there's just a number of things with that angst that kind of went along with um the anger the angst that some of the darkness that i was going through and nobody knew really what it was we never talked about it um but from really february of my 10th grade year i've i've just never been the same again it's Mm. just it just revolutionized my life. And I tell parents all the time, uh, because when I talk with parents about tragedies and family tragedies, are my kids going to be okay? I tell them, you're talking to one of those kids. Right. And yeah. parents, document these things. Write them right. down. Talk so with good. your kids about your experience. Don't hide this from your children at appropriate right. moments, appropriate times. Talk with them. Talk to them about the valley of the shadow of death where you don't have to fear because the Lord is with you. 
And so, and I just say, I'm here because of a faithful mom who decided to write down and document her story. And at the same time, document her pain. And it's her real navigation of what was the darkest moment of her life is what really brought light into her son. And so to me, um, I'm, I'm here because of obviously the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, but also the faithfulness of a parent that's willing to press into their pain and find Jesus in the middle of it. That's so good. What a beautiful story. Yeah. Powerful story. You know, so many things jump out at me, Dave, as I hear that, you know, the influence of our parents is amazing. Yeah. I, uh, the impact of, I still remember things my dad told me when I was three years old, four years old. And, 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 and to see your mom do what she did. And, and it really kind of just uh, reminds me that we can have faith and have questions at the same time. Yeah. 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 No, faith absolutely. isn't the absence of, isn't the absence of questions. Um, it's, Exactly. It's such a beautiful picture what your mom did. She's leaning into her faith, but at the same time, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. This is painful. And I and I love that it's possible <clears throat> to have both of those present at the same time. Yeah. And it's okay to have both of those present at the same time. As a matter of fact, I think it's more than okay. I think it's mm. I think it's really healthy. So Dave, thanks Absolutely. for 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 sharing that level of detail with us it's such a a, a beautiful yeah. story yes um i wonder you know so when did you start to sense the call to pastoral ministry dave uh you serve and we're going to talk a little bit about where you serve in a minute here but can you unpack that for us what was that like and how did that happen honestly looking back even as a kid i i feel like the lord was speaking to me early in elementary, even in the midst mm-hmm. of all of that, watching what my parents were doing, because my parents went into ministry when I was in sixth grade, but they were heavily involved. I mean, from as long as I can remember, they've always taught classes. They've always served. Um, my parents are givers to the nth degree. And so there was something that they did for which I, I would see. And I would just automatically, I'd say it to God, I don't want to do that because I felt something in me. That like God's saying, I am, I'm training you for something. I'm leading you yeah. towards something. And I would go into prayer and immediately just say, God, whatever you want me to do, just let it not be what they do. And so I, I just, and, and people would see that in me, even in my teenage years, um, prior to 15 and even after, uh, especially after the Holy Spirit got a hold of my life, people like, Hey, you're going to be a pastor someday. You're going to be a pastor someday. Well, you're a pastor's kid. You have to, this is what you have to do. I'm like, no, I don't have to do this. I've, I've watched what they've had to deal with. I watched the people they have to navigate through. Um, but yet there was just always this thing in me. And so it was in my junior year, it was a year later. I remember it's February, a year later, almost to the day where I just, I went down to the altar. I was just sick of that conversation with God. And so I just simply said, God, you and I are going to have it out. And so service started at 6.30. I got up from the altar at 11 p.m. And I just, I literally got on my knees and just wept and cried. I remember at one point just talking to God and realizing I can hear the pastor wrapping up the service. And yet I thought, mom and dad are going to be cool with this, not realizing we were actually supposed to be having company that night. And Mm -hmm. so they left me at the church 
and left. And my youth pastor just said, I'll just sit in the pew and I'll just wait till he's done. And so wow. Kurt Demoff just yeah. sat, <laughs> just sat and waited. Uh, Kurt just sat and waited patiently. You know, mm-hmm. there's no cell phones at the time, so you can't scroll or anything. I don't know what he did till 11, but he just waited for me. Huh. And that, and, and which was beautiful because after I got done talking with God, we got in the car and he drove me home and we just talked for that 15 minutes in the car. What's God speaking to you? I said, I, I said, I think God is really trying to, to help me to confirm what he has been calling me into for a lifetime. But I just have been pushing it away because I was angry. I was mad. I was depressed. I've, I just have been pushing it and I can't push it off any longer. It is this thing that gripped my heart so deeply that God was just <laughs> waiting for me to say, yes, it's like Samuel in first Samuel, what is it? Chapter three, where God is speaking, God is speaking and Samuel just needs to say, speak your servants listening. And right there, uh, David was finally ready to listen. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's so of, cool. A lot of wrestling in your story, Dave. You know, I, yeah, that's I'm a stubborn man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love the fact that you, you don't have to tap out. You know, at some point you you do surrender. But I, I think too, those that go, yeah, I just always been called, always been saved, always been that's wonderful. I think it's a great testimony. I think somebody says, No, I really, really fought this, you know, because of what I knew. Uh, it wasn't cowardice. It was just reality, you know? Yeah. Speaking of, of reality, you, you know, pastor a local congregation. Um, you and I have spoken a little bit in the past. I don't want you to share anything that shouldn't be out there, but when pastors get together, right, we talk about our congregations in a way we probably shouldn't in a public setting like a podcast, but you have some of the best stories of pastoral transition I've ever heard. Plus you're a great storyteller. So you go into the store, I'll start laughing just because you'll make it funny, but you had some humdingers uh, in your in your your testimony, but tell us a little bit about the context you're ministering in now. And maybe you want to share uh, what's appropriate without hurting people. Uh, what is oh, what sure. is really like to be a pastor of a local congregation? Oh goodness, uh, we were we went through some a lot of church hurt and trauma, and um, we we always talk about because we had five years of ministry in De- the Detroit area. Uh, but we get to Midland, Michigan uh, with Joel Stocker as our pastor and mentor. And it was seven years of, I can't say bliss, but it was just health because the first couple of years we had to get just healed up. But that was it's where our son was born. It's where we found ourselves. We found our flow of ministry, what we wanted to truly be like. And we were determined to succeed Joel Stocker in Midland, Michigan. I would tell Joel in staff meeting, I'm just waiting for him to pass away or retire so I can take over. <laughs> and after like six times, we're in an annual review. He says, Dave, you've brought this up six times. Do you want me dead? I'm like, well, if you just move out of the way, you don't have to be dead. For me to <laughs> you don't have to over. die. <laughs> and so um, I, I, I love Joel. He is like a second father to me. And um, at the same time, we were just determined we were never going to leave because this was our city of refuge. And we had had other churches inquire and every single time, I mean, it, it feels very attractive to be wanted. Like, Hey, we want it. We want to talk to you. And I tell Ann and, and she's like, okay, where's this at? I'd point in my hand. Cause that's what we do in Michigan. Here's where it's at. She goes, no, that's not where we're going. That's not, not, not where we're going, not where we're going. And so when I get this message about Kalamazoo first assembly of God, I, I didn't want to talk to her. And so I actually talked to a staff member. And uh, it's my friend who had the had the bulldog. And so him and I would sit and talk and she would overhear conversations. And after about a month or so, she walks in my office and closes the door, which I know is never a good sign. Yeah. 
And she says, when are you going to talk to me about Kalamazoo? And I just said, babe, I have to have a conversation with them. And she just starts weeping. She says, we're done, aren't we? I said, no, 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 no. It's we haven't even interviewed. I haven't even sent them my resume. And she says, but we're done, aren't we? And I just said, I think we are. Sent my resume, found out I was one of 72. So I said, honey, we might not be done. Um, and, I, and I walked it through. I had a type of pastor wow. where we, you could talk through these things and pastor were praying about this. And uh, he looks at me and he's like, they're going to break my heart all over again. I said, what are you talking about? He says, in 1985, they went through a massive transition, uh, some things where pastor had to be removed. And he was one of two candidates, final candidates, and a board was split. And they end up choosing Oliver Dalaba instead of Joel Stocker. And they broke his heart. He's like, I knew God was calling us there. And so wow. he, he goes, they're going to break my heart a second time. And so after four months or so, we became the final candidates. And this church had gone from uh, 1,300 to less than 200 in 11 years. And so they, we were taking a chance on them. And at the same time, they were taking a chance on a youth pastor. So we were, we were yeah. taking a chance on each other. And we were getting ready to vote. Well, they were getting ready to vote. And somebody said, does anybody have any last second thoughts or questions for Pastor Dave? And this gentleman stood up in the back. He said, I was on a board in 1985. And who would have known that on that day, we actually hired the right man? Pastor Dalaba is a legend. But we sent away the right man because one day he would go to Midland, Michigan to help heal a church and actually mentor our next pastor. That when God, when we we prayed to God in 1985, he already had 2009 in his mind. And I'm like, let's vote. Let's vote right now. (laughs) And so that's how it all began. And so we came into um, a place that was, God bless, debt-free. Thank Jesus for that. But a place that had gone through lots of trauma, lots of, of, of changes for the previous decade that were done out of the idea we have to we have to stop the ship from sinking. And so it was change after change after change, strategy after strategy. And and I know that just because of, of former staff members and family members that I know that were related to that pastor and have helped me understand and walk through those things. And so those first couple of years, especially those first three years, were, were beautiful and terrible at the same time, just from notes that we get in the offering. Like my very first note written on an, on a tithing envelope, it just said, "Cause pastor could Pastor Dave go get a tan because he's blending in with the back wall when he preaches," and I, I didn't know what to do with that. And and yet when we painted that wall, um, I got notes all about painting the ba- the back wall and disrespecting um, authorities in my life and connections to the board. Uh, when we got rid of the what do you call it the uh, offering bags. That had been around for 40 plus years. Sure. Uh, boy, I was told how much I hated history and tradition. And man, Helen will be offended. I said, listen, Helen, I know she made those. And she can't believe that we're still using them. Helen is 90 <laughs> years old. And like, but but Helen, I'm like, no, Helen knows. And Helen's mad that we're still using them because they're falling <laughs> apart. Oh, we've had wow. so many talks about random, silly, sometimes mm, stupid yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is, as people didn't know me, I didn't know them. And we were starting a journey together. But it wasn't like we were slowly trying to move forward. It was we were thrown into the den. And, and people that had this idea about what I needed to be. I had this idea of what they needed to be, and we had to learn to work through that over the first, especially the first three years. 
Yeah. Goodness and gracious. Dave, Dave, how long have you been there now? 14 and a half. 14 and a half years. You know, it's not lost on me or Jim, uh, the power of longevity. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know that there's any way to narrow down the proper number, but I, I think for most uh, most pastors, it's seven years mm. to become the actual pastor. Yeah, uh, that's that's exactly least. the number I tell people. So it's around yeah. five to seven, but it's at seven where yeah. this is my church. So to speak, yeah, right. I had, I had a pastor sit down with me. He was 10 months in. He says, how long before I feel it's my church? I said, bro, you've got six, <laughs> you have six more years. And he just put, his head, on the ta- he put <laughs> his head on the table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, but yeah. that's how it is. That's just yeah. how it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and we know that, uh, uh, there's so much that goes in those first seven years that would make you want to exit. Yes. Uh, at, yeah. You know, and, and, and to leave, uh, and, and it's unfortunate that I think, uh, there are more than a few pastors who get to that six-year or seven-year spot, and they're about ready to see some of the fruit of their labors, and and they 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 exit. And so yeah. it's it's amazing that you've been there. I didn't realize it was uh, fourteen and a half years. And uh, I've been uh, at Dave's church. Uh, I don't know how many times, three or four times. And if I lived in that area, that's where I go to church. It's an amazing. Oh church uh, uh, just the the feel and the vibe and the culture there it's it's mm. in, an incredible place to worship and it, it's it, dave's congregation is one of the easiest congregations mm. to teach that i've ever been i've ever been in front wow. of it's just amazing and i think that's a real credit to you and ann and the uh the culture that you've created there um dave if it's okay i'd like to now pivot yeah, give it away subject uh at hand uh you know the reason i reached out to you back in 2014 is you had posted a blog chronicling your journey with depression and you know for all of those who watch and listen i think you have heard my story as well and my journey so when i dave posted that blog there i felt an immediate concern for him uh and in in a weird way i don't want this to sound weird but a connection yeah, uh, because nobody under nobody understands depression better than somebody who's been through it, and yeah. uh, and so Dave, t- tell us about your battle with depression. You already gave us a little bit of an indicator that this was something you were dealing with early on, but uh, and I know that's kind of a wide open question, but if you could just kind of walk mm-hmm. us through some of your battle, and we're going to drill down in in the next podcast on more detail, but. Yeah. Can you share with us your journey? Sure. Um, I look back over the years, especially my younger years, um, where I would have what my parents would just call mood swings. Mm. Um, They would say things like, you're overly tired. Um, Cheer up. I mean, there's just moments like I've got this this memory from this uh, this fish and chips place we used to go to after church. And my dad saying, what is wrong with you? cheer up. And, um, and I remember just saying, cause it had been said to me so many times, I think I'm just tired. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know why that memory. So I've got certain things that had just stick in my head throughout my, my, my growing up. I remember being 18 and getting ready for Bible college, uh, getting ready to go work with my grandfather for the summer before Bible college. And I just remember having this darkness sit over me and I was picking up a jug of milk and it slipped and it just tipped over on the counter and I'm watching it just glug out and nothing in me had the capacity to pick it up 
wow. turn it back over and I'm just staring at it. And I just started wailing and weeping. My ma- mom runs in the kitchen, holds on to me. And I just kept saying, I don't want to go away. I don't want to go away. And she thought that meant Bible college. I don't even know to this day what that meant, but it was, I felt like that milk jug. That was me. Like mm-hmm. the top is off. Something is just pouring out of me and I don't know what this is. And so I just remember uh, the next day at church, dad pulled me aside after church. So what's going on? I, I don't know, dad. I had a bad day. I just didn't know how to articulate in my adolescence, in my teen years, anything that I was dealing with, anything that I was going through and even getting into Bible college, uh, a lot of things I thought were anger issues weren't anger issues in the least bit. Um Bible college, I tried picking fights with people. I mean, of all the places, I just remember <laughs> grabbing a guy by the throat, pulling my fist back at, at half court in the middle of a, bas- a basketball game with, I mean, let's be real. We play uh, sports as Christians. We don't always act like Jesus. So um, I just remember people tackling me and saying, you, you need to get back to your room. You just, you need to go cool down. And I just, re- I remember that day just going to the prayer room. I'm all sweaty and went to the prayer room in our dorm. Um, and just like, God, what the heck is wrong with me? I might've been more colorful with my language at that point, but mm-hmm. I was just in such, there's such turmoil and I didn't know how to articulate it, to word it because nobody talked about it. Nobody brought right. up depression. Nobody ever brought up mental health. And what was that? 1993, 94, right? Nobody, nobody brought that into the forefront. And if they brought it up, it was always in a very negative and or sinful way or you're broken or- or destructive way. Destructive. Right? There's the word. A yeah. destructive way. And it wasn't until I got to years in Midland. I mean, this is years of ministry. Um, years of just being in tears at the church. I remember pulling up to Sunday night church when we were in Detroit. And I just weeping on my steering wheel. And my wife is next to me. Let's go into church. I Don't make me go in. Don't make me go in. And my parents pull up, see me. And they're knocking on the window. David, open up the window. Open up the door. And I, I just didn't know how to talk about it. And right. this is just, it has been heavy on me for so long. And really it wasn't till what, August 11th, 2014, when Robin Williams took his life. Mm. And that's the day I just sat down at my, at my laptop because I had started marriage blogging a couple of years prior. And I just started pinning out the blog called From the Heart of a Depressed Pastor. And I needed to start articulating because at Midland, I got diagnosed and I started trying to understand it better. And at this point, I got to the place where I just simply said, I won't allow another Robin Williams that I know and that I'm connected to, to have this happen. I won't allow it. It's not going to happen underneath my watch. And so I started writing this blog and just putting it out there. Thinking then later on thinking, maybe I should have talked to the board first. Maybe I should tell the staff first. Maybe I should contact my parents first because they're, they're going to hear this for the first time there. And I kept thinking, who's going to leave the church? What are my kids going to think about this? And so all of a sudden, like this range of emotions, but yet a deep conviction just simply said, not another soul on my watch. That was, I just went intense. This is the intensity of the Behringer's here. Like I'm going to keep pushing through, make it happen. And I hit send. And to this day, there's no blog that, that has had any type of, of response like that one. I mean, yeah. if I blog on, on sexuality, four to 500 fit hits easy. Marriage, two to 300. This thing was 8,000 within 24 hours. 
Yep. And it just, in my world, it may not be a lot for some people, but it just blew up. And the messages that came, not from, not from congregational members, the messages were from pastors. Right. And pastor spouses started messaging me. Can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? How did you, how, how do you know this? Where do I get help? And it blew my mind. And I kept thinking, okay, we're just going to keep reposting it. And then I get this call. And I shared this uh, about a month ago. I get this call out of nowhere from a missionary I've been trying to book for years. World-renowned speaker. Been trying for years. Mom found him, gave him my cell phone, called my son. Mom, again, mom comes to see me. <laughs> and so I pick up the phone and he and he goes, hey, is this the depressed pastor? I'm like, I, I guess so. Yes. He goes, if I say the wrong thing, are you going to go hang yourself? And I just went silent. I should have hung up on him at that point. But what I really wanted to do was hang up and go take the blog off and delete it all. Mm. Being mishandled made me just want to go into seclusion, not isolation, seclusion. And just, it was just one, it's kind of like posting something nice on Facebook and you only focus not on the 59 good comments. It's the one bad one that just makes you just want to delete the whole thing, run the other way. And just guard yourself all over again. And that's, and so through the years, to me, it's just, it's been not just powering through, it's that finding community, getting medication, getting good counsel, surrounding yourself with solid friendships, uh, learning how to process it. It's been quite the journey, but it's been a journey worth fighting for. Yeah. You know, uh, we had in a couple of, weeks ago on the podcast well it's actually by the time this gets recorded or or posted it'll be a month or two we had a a gentleman named daniel whitehead on the podcast from sanctuary health ministries out of vancouver and uh and he gave us some numbers and i was familiar with these numbers but i it it just struck me again uh prior to the pandemic 11 percent of the population in the united states suffered with depression uh, at the at the height of the pandemic, it was forty two percent. Wow, forty two percent. And you know the pandemic has been over now or declared over for I don't know almost two years, and the number is still at thirty three percent. And and so what your talk, Dave, your story, um. Uh, and, and we all know that the number for pastors is higher than 33%. It's true. Uh, it's in the 40s. And and so we know that this is not just a, a, a small problem. I consider this to be epidemic. Yes. Uh, an epidemic problem. And so thank you for your transparency and sharing that. Um, and uh, we, uh, you know, you and I both know that, People have said things to us that have been helpful in the journey, and people have said things to us that have been less than helpful in the journey. That's a nice um, way like, to say it. Yeah, yeah. I had, yeah, that was very kind, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> I had some people quoting Romans eight twenty eight to me when I was in the middle of the pit, not, you know, as low as I had ever been. Yeah. Uh, you know, God works all things, and and you know, Romans eight twenty eight is really true. Mm-hmm. It's true. I believe that. But that was not a helpful remark to me when I was at the at the bottom of that dark, long tunnel. And so um, mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for this subject being talked about more. Yeah, it's being talked about more intelligently. 
um, now uh, more constructively than ever. Uh, and yet, we're still dealing with these incredibly high numbers. And so, um, I'm grateful for your story. I'm grateful for um, uh, your willingness to be transparent. The church could lead the way yeah. in, in this area. Uh, you know, the Bible is full of principles that will help us um, get and stay healthy in this area. And, and so um, I, I'm, I'm glad that you have that passion, yeah. that not on my watch yeah. uh, type of approach, David. I really appreciate that. And, and you know, we're buttoning up against time here. I want Jim, yeah. Jim's got one more question for you, but I wonder, Dave, if you'll hang out with us for another, another episode, because we want to dig into your book and we're going to talk about your book uh, in, in detail. Uh, in the next yeah. pod. Uh, Jim, go ahead. Fire away with that last question. Yeah. You know, I, I think I, I read your book. I haven't read the whole thing, uh, but the portions that I've read, what strikes me about it, Dave, is, is the honesty, the transparency. The I'm not sure if you've ever been a part of a small group, uh, especially guys. We don't like to talk about what we're going through, but you get in a small group of trusted friends and somebody goes, you know, if I can just be honest with you guys, I'm really struggling with this. And the next 10 minutes, all the other eight guys go, yeah, me too. And, and I, I think it just takes one person to say, let me be honest. Mm. And, and I, if you're looking for a no holds barred, honest conversation about what Dave has been through and what God has done, is doing, will continue to do, um, it, it's right here. I, I love even this, the, the name, Speaking from the Shadows, I think is a beautiful picture. And, you know, to, to write it, like you, you mentioned your parents a while ago, you mentioned your pastors, you mentioned your congregation, your, like when that. When you set, when you put that post, that was a micro version of this, of this yeah. macro document. Yeah. Things I'm sure people that have loved you your whole life heard stories for the first time. I'm sure, you know, when when they saw this, what what motivated you? What's the what's the why? What what's the fruit you hope comes from this book? The fruit is really twofold. First of all, to help those who deal with the darkness, to help them to articulate it. Um, John, you and I both know that when you're in the middle of it and people say, what's wrong? Tell me, just tell me what's wrong. Sometimes you just say, I wish I could. I wish I could. And so for me, it was to help be a voice for those of us that go through the shadows that simply say, that's, this is it right here. That's how I feel. Here's what it feels like. This is what it looks like. And so it's helped give a voice and, and to help people articulate what it is they're dealing with when they just don't know how to talk it through. The other side is, is to help those who have never gone through it to kind of peek behind the curtains, so to speak, and begin to see that's what my son deals with. That's what my yeah. wife deals with. That's what my friend. In fact, over the past month, I was just telling my, my daughter the other day, because we sold a couple books on Sunday and she was like, man, it's just been very consistent. I said, that's great. I said, but lately the people contacting me have been people who have never dealt with it because it's their aha. I right. think I'm beginning to understand. And so the fruit of it to me is the articulation for those mm -hmm. dealing with it. And then for other people to help understand their loved ones so that they not just understand what they're dealing with, but so that they actually know how to be fully present with that individual That's and right. not let them feel abandoned in the middle of it. Right on. I love that. You know, it's funny. I, in the military, they train me in something called urban warfare, the, the door kicking, the breach and all that kind of stuff. And the saying is, the first guy through the door always gets bloody. That's just because you got to come in and cover a third of the room. 
Yeah. Next guy, the other third, next guy. You hope to get in there in under a second, three guys all, all defending. But the first guy in the door is defenseless against two thirds of that room. Yeah. And I, I wonder what your, what the reaction has been thus far. You're the first guy through the door. I mean, John has written about it. You've written about it. But to those that know you that don't know John, this may be their first time hearing somebody mm-hmm. articulating. Has, has the reaction been positive? You know, negative. I, I hear some people say, oh, everybody that's under 16 thinks they're depressed. They have a bad day. They're depressed. Nobody's depressed. They just need to get a job. They just yeah. need to get a life. They just need to, you know what I mean? So you, you're in the room now. Are you getting bloody? Uh, not necessarily. I went, I went into this expecting to be a red shirt. And for people who don't know Star Trek, uh, the original Star Trek, whoever's in a red shirt, that's the guy that was going to die because Captain Kirk and Spock and everybody else were going to live. So the sacrificial lamb was the red shirt. I went into this as a red shirt, uh, so to speak, thinking somebody has to talk about this. Uh, cause I, I started this journey for this book late 2019. Because I came out of one of the darkest summers of my life uh, to the point where I sat down with our then um, district superintendent, Jeff Halavin, and I told him about some suicidal thoughts and things that I was dealing with. And he's like, why haven't you talked about this? And I just said, because you, Jeff, I've known you for 30 years, but because you are in authority over me, you are not safe. You're mm-hmm. toxic to me. Wow. And, and he's like, but Dave, I said, I, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. But you just, you don't. And so something started in me that just simply said, basically, into 2019, I'm going to start putting something together. There's got to be a way to articulate this. And once this, this has come out, I have, I can't say that I've had any gashes at all from individuals. And uh, what, what I, I love, we call it subtweeting on Twitter. It's called X now, but I see that happening. I saw that happening in the first week on Facebook where ministers that I'm connected with just Facebook. I have no relationship with other than Facebook. We're making posts about depression, asking questions to their followers, so to speak. Like one in particular was an evangelist, like, can Christians get depressed? It was the day I put out the book and I should have just stayed off of social media. Uh, But what, so I had people posting things like that and I can kind of read between the lines, like, because when I shared it, People start sharing it everywhere, which was wonderful right. and humbling yeah. and exciting. And then watching all those reactions um, on those pastoral and evangelistic posts were were a little disheartening at first until I started reading the comments and watching people light right. up, uh, light them up and not in a bad way. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Here's what I've dealt with. I've been in ministry and here and I, watching people get vocal about it. If there's anything right. I think 2020 yeah. handed us in a good sense is it, it, it put mental health right there at the forefront. And 2020, as much as I hated that year, it was one of the roughest years of my life. It really caused people to want to be open about it because with depression, I don't want to generalize depression. I want to normalize it. Not everybody gets depressed. Right. Colored outside the lines. I'm depressed. No, 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 no. I had a bad day. No, 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 no. But I want to be able to normalize it in the sense that we need to talk about it more. We need to put this on yeah. the forefront. We have to have conversations and we have to know how to yeah. be there for people. Right. Yeah. I, and I use the words demystify and yeah. destigmatize. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, normalize is right there with it. So, Jim, uh, why don't you wrap us up and we'll we'll jump on another uh, call for another. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, one last thing is, is you need to get a hold of us and talk to us. Convergecoach.com. Contact us button. Press it. Dave? How do they get a hold of you? You talk about people reaching out to you, so I know you're open to this, but how would they get a hold of you if they wanted to talk 
with you or maybe get a copy of your book. Absolutely. Um, you can you can contact me, email Dave at kfirst.org, K-F-I-R-S-T dot O-R-G. Um, people, most of my contacts come through Facebook Messenger, Twitter, Instagram, any of the socials, you can contact me through that. Speakingfromtheshadows.com is the website that, especially for locals, um, you not just can buy the book. It's honestly, it'll just send you to Amazon or Barnes and Noble. It's one of those. Uh, but also if you're local Kalamazoo, I have a button with local Christian counselors that I trust and that I know so that you not just can go buy the book. You can actually find a, um, a counselor and get some help immediately for, uh, for the issues that you're dealing with. Right on. I'll add this as well. At freedomcenter.church, we have the same thing. It's under ministries tab. Uh, counselors we've vetted. We even have scholarships available for people in our community that it's beyond their budget. So I, we're with you on this. So dear listeners and watchers, man, I'm, I'm telling you, um, no shame in asking for help. Never. None at all. And, and, and what's interesting is when one man's need validates somebody else's journey. You know, so asking for help is not putting anybody out. It's it's saying, I'm, I'm grateful that I have an answer to your question, to the person you're asking. And, and you're, you don't have to feel alone. That's a lie from the devil. You're not alone. There's people that love you. There's people that are here for you. We've given you resources and directions. And we'll, we'll, we'll be talking soon on the phone. But um, God bless you, our dear watchers and listeners. Uh, leadership is tough. Four out of 10 of us are wrestling with this stuff. And... Um, you know, is there a solution? I, I, I think we're going to find out next week, really. Uh, but more of Dave's story, more of Dave's journey. And I hope you'll join us again next week as you continue to lead from alignment.